0: But we're much better than what we showed against them. And this is what we're going to show them tonight. No doubt in my head. Let's go, guys.
1: You're listening to the 90 Plus Podcast. Here's your hosts, Ben Rigetti and Sebastian Pereira.
2: All right, we are here. We are back after a short little bit of a break. Sebastian has, in fact, returned to full health, so we are happy to have him back for episode 33 of the 90-plus podcast. We have a couple of guests. We, uh, we went on the third sub-podcast a few weeks, a few months. I know time sort of flies by these days. Uh, from the third sub-podcast, we do have Sam Rowan and Alex Gangaruzic. I'm hoping that's close enough for Alex's taste um yeah we're excited to have you guys on we had a lot of fun when we came on to the third sub podcast a little while ago uh so yeah i guess sort of breaking straight on in if you guys want to give a quick little introduction before we get this one under right underway
0: i guess i'll go first here um i think alex might be afk or unavailable at the moment but first of all thanks guys for uh having us on it was a pleasure to have you guys on we had a ton of fun and so immediately we were like hey let's let's go give another crack at this at some point now it's the off season there's different subject matters to talk about but albeit still really interesting you got some transfer targets got you know the end of the mls playoffs upcoming here with mls cup uh really enjoy your guys' work and uh i think you know there's probably a good amount of kind of carry over between our two listener bases so i think it makes for for a good show and it looks like alex has returned as well so i can kind of um well i don't know if i'm gonna kick it over to you because you might have missed out on what i just said but yeah alex welcome back in
3: <laughs> yeah apparently the my teams that i support in europe aren't the only things dropping today so that's all i'll say But i'm <laughs> glad to be on the show glad to as always appreciate the invite i think we'll have some good uh, discussion matter to to pour into because i mean Things are pretty boring in Whitecaps land. But as usual, there's, there's always enough to keep things interesting. And I mean, it's off season. It's the dog days. It's December 8th. I mean, not, not much really going to happen for the next few weeks. But then we're going to hit a roller coaster of, of stuff. So I think we're in, a, we're in a good period right now, the metaphorical calm before the storm. So I'm happy to break down some things before we really hit the, the, the wild and unpredictable MLS off season that we all love to, to, to follow
2: and making his grand return to the mic, my co-host, the uh, 50% of the 90-plus podcast, Sebastian. Welcome back. We've missed you. Uh, episode 33. Welcome. How are you feeling?
1: Feeling a lot better. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, finally back to full health uh, in a sort of way. And yeah, it's great to have both uh, Sam and Alex back on the, on the pod and back talking some roundtable stuff on the Whitecaps. Uh, it's been a hell of a playoff so far, so we're going to get deep into that preview uh, the upcoming MLS Cup which unfortunately still includes a Seattle Sounders team led by Brian Spencer so uh, I'm sure we'll have some fun with that uh, and yeah uh, great to have you guys back on guys so uh, yeah let's, without further ado let's get straight into it.
2: So yeah Sebastian just kind of uh, touched the uh, tip of the iceberg there so to start off with the, uh, a quick preview of the MLS Cup and just sort of catch our breath almost from what's been going on in the playoffs so far uh, there's been a transfer target of sorts. We're still waiting for any sort of clarification, but Deber Casado from down in Colombia. So, we yeah, might be losing Montero, but we're replacing him with another Colombian, much to Sebastian's delight. Let's go. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> get, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, bringing back our one good, one bad segment, we're kind of going to take a look at the season as a whole rather than just a single game. So, it's uh, yeah, it's so definitely, you know, I'm sure... I was talking to Sebastian before, there's definitely a few more bads than goods out there for uh, picking, but you know what, we uh, I'm sure we can pull something together and we'll grade this season as well. Uh, news coming out today, Alfonso Davies he tied for the Lou Marsh Award uh, with Chiefs guard Laurent DeVernay Tardif, so it's uh, yeah, you know, we, I think we're all either expecting or hoping Davies to win that, so we'll get some more sort of reaction and breakdown in a little bit for there later on, and we'll wrap up episode 33 in our round table here with a bold prediction for 2021 so it's uh yeah lots of stuff to get into i'm a it's good looking show and i mean there's no better way to start it off and what the hell happened last night in seattle who wants to take the reins on this one
1: my jaw still dropped to the floor from that not gonna lie like (laughs) at at some point i was kind of like surprised by because you obviously don't see that a lot in in football but I mean, it's the Sounders, so uh, at the same time, I wasn't like too overly surprised about it. It was crazy, though. Like the fact that this Minnesota team took them to took them to Lumen Field and ultimately was able to grab a result 75 minutes in, and then they kind of crumbled in the late 15 minutes. And Gustav Svensson heads in a crazy corner off another Nicoladero playoff assist. It was it was crazy, and, I mean, it's something none of us wanted to see. As I mentioned earlier on in the pod, we don't want to see Seattle in another MLS Cup, but uh, I think it's it's something that really uh, benefits the Whitecaps in a sense. I know Axel Schuster and uh, MDS won't say publicly, they probably won't say like, oh, we definitely watch that. Like you know, they're, they're obviously going to watch that uh, and, and watch the games, but I think it's a Western Conference final that benefits the Whitecaps because if Minnesota were to have gotten to MLS Cup, uh the Whitecaps Caps look at that and it's like a team that's only been in the league for four years or three years, pardon me. So um you look at that and you're like, okay, like how how can we make the pull at, like the MLS Cup final now? I mean, there's obviously a bit of a of a reputation now with uh, with a Minnesota team that's playing some really good football right now. But now with Seattle sending it sending uh booking their ticket to MLS Cup, uh you look at them and it's another Cascadia team that's not the Whitecaps Caps going to MLS Cup. So um, I think it's some good pressure there for the Whitecaps this offseason to, to, you know, take a look at that Western Conference final and say, okay, we have to really, like, put our foot on the pedal and get everything right because it's been almost a decade now that we've been in this league and we've been nowhere close to the MLS Cup. So, um, so something definitely they'll they'll be looking uh, forward to achieving in the near future, hopefully, and it's something that can motivate them.
2: Ooh.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in. Like, boy, felt like I was fever dreaming, at least during the Seattle game, which I don't know how I've done this again, but I've watched pretty much almost every playoff game. I don't know why I do this to myself every year, but compared to the Columbus versus New England game, that was like the complete opposite. It was like Sunday at noon. I was pretty much just out of bed. And I think I watched maybe one of the EPL games in the morning, it was just so dead, a one nil, you know, it, it really finished strongly, but it was, it wasn't that as wild of a game. And then yesterday it was just an absolute end to end, especially in the first half before Reynoso's, you know, magical free kick. It was a lot of end to end action. Jordan Morris, whenever he plays, he makes games fun. So does Raul Ridiaz, Nico Ladero. And then obviously Minnesota, we know the talent they have in Kevin Molino and Emmanuel Reynoso and, and, uh, Robin Lode and, you know, the list goes on and on. And it shows, I guess, what happens when you pay for top quality attacking talent. You know, you get to see top quality football. You get to see a moment of magic, that free kick where he, Reynoso stepped up to the ball and you felt this guy's going to put it on target and probably put it in the goal. You think about many teams out there in the league, if you want to look at the Whitecaps more specifically, since we are on a white caps podcast, is there anyone that you can see stepping up in a moment like that? And putting a goal in? Not now. I'm not on this team. Maybe when Pedro Morales was here, maybe 20, 2016, Pedro Morales could hit that free kick. Maybe Christian Techera. Aside from that, they haven't had many players in their history. Even Ali Adnan's a great free kick taker, but he just doesn't have that same quality, that same just determination about him. And I think that for me to see all that talent on display was, was quite magical. And I think it's going to be good in MLS cup final to see guys like Zeller and Zardes and Santos versus, you know, the, the Ladero, Rui Diaz and, you know, et, et cetera, crew, like the Seattle roster is so deep. And I think it, it's been very entertaining soccer. And I think for that, you can't complain. North American playoffs tend to be a lot more cagey, a lot more, you know, tight, especially if you happen to be hockey fans or even other sports, but, give credit to MLS, these single game elimination games, they've they've been absolute bonkers and I think it lived up to it. There's not often your seventy-fifth minute it's two nil. In the playoffs, that's basically game over in ninety nine percent of the, the situations. And I guess we saw one of the one yesterday. But if we've been if you've been following along carefully, I, I don't think you should have been that surprised.
0: Yeah, I'll just add my two cents um watching both those matches, thinking back on them. I think as as much as crazy stuff has gone on during these playoffs, two of the most complete rosters in the league are the ones in the MLS cup final. So it's like at the end of the day, the cream of the crop does sort of rise to the top and that the Seattle Minnesota one was weird because you had like four set piece goals essentially. And the other one was kind of a, a second chance second phase opportunity. It wasn't necessarily like just wonderful build up, but, they, you know, Seattle found a way to get it done, and I was sitting there. At no point in the match did I, you know, think that Seattle was out of it or that it was the result was out of the question because it's just the kind of team they are, right? Guys, you know, they have those clutch performers, and it's just not something we're used to in Vancouver, but it's it's something they're very used to in Seattle, and I'm, I'm very excited for this MLS Cup final because I think Columbus is sneaky underrated they just suffered some injuries kind of in the middle of the season that really derailed their top top push for you know for a supporter shield or something like that but other than that little stretch they had mid-season they've been a phenomenal team they're very well managed and i mean the same can be said about seattle they started off a little slow mls's back wasn't so great but you know they just patched up those little holes in two very very complete squads and then to kind of talk a little bit about what Sebastian mentioned. I think it's positive for the White Caps that they're I think if they'd seen Minnesota make the MLS Cup finals, you kind of go, "Oh, we're just a couple pieces away from potentially making MLS Cup." And when you look at Columbus and Seattle, it's a it's a different model. It's just that it, you know, as we talked with Manuel Veth, he's the real philosophy from ownership all the way down like resonates throughout those organizations and it's been this long process of kind of building towards that. And albeit I mean, Columbus has had some issues in terms of possible relocation and stadium and things like that, but at least on the football ops side, two great examples of how to run a franchise. So, um, yeah, very excited, and uh, hope everyone enjoyed those matches. I I certainly did. Albeit as Alex said, two very different styles. I mean, I was kind of dozing in and out for a bit of that uh, Columbus New England one because the the Revs, their big stars, just I mean, they had some moments, but it wasn't the same magic. And that I guess that was a bit of a shame not to see. But yeah, that's kind of know, summarizes my thoughts.
2: Uh, I will give Sebastian a lot of credit because he called this exact MLS Cup final but you know with a couple of weeks left in the season he said guarantee he guaranteed Columbus was coming out of the east so you know it takes a big man to put a guarantee on an MLS cup playoff team hey, uh, man,
1: I, I honestly never sleep on the crew and just to go back to Sam's point of how they're such an underrated team the fact that this team has such a good identity like from ownership uh to the bottom of the, of the playing style they have down there it's insane like Obviously they had their their relocation problems and the whole save the crew movement was a big part uh of of essentially motivating them to make MLS Cup this year as well. Um and now it's basically the hashtag Savor the Crew, uh, which we're all doing right now. <laughs> um, but uh I think their playing style is so nice because they just had they've had an identity for so many years and the fact that there's been a lot of turnover in terms of roster movement, player movement, this team is not the same. Team that made MLS Cup uh, under Greg Burhalter in 2015. Um, you had Kai Kamara, Ethan Finley, uh, Justin Miram were the big guys uh, for Columbus in that season. And now you're still able to have that same system, but have players like Jesse Zardes, Lucas Lorayan, Pedro Santos, a young winger who's uh, really improved this season, Luis Diaz. Um, it's just incredible to me that you can you can have that same type of soccer identity and apply it to different players and that just goes to show that the scouting department is so important nowadays in the market as well so um, big props to Columbus I I love their team I love the way they play and uh, I think it's going to be a really good final I really do I think it's definitely one of the better matchups we could have gotten out of the two conference
2: finals uh so we'll do a quick round, give uh, some predictions here. Uh because again, I agree with all of you. I think it's gonna be an absolute barn burner. Seattle, you know, they can play lights out football at a moment's notice. Columbus, again, another complete team, you know. It's difficult anywhere in the entire organization to find some uh, to find a couple of flaws in there. So again, hats off to the two of them. My if I was a betting man, which I'm not, uh, but I would I would put money on Seattle. I just, I know it's in Columbus. Uh, I just think, I mean, we saw the way that Seattle elevated their game in the last 15 minutes. I was talking with Sebastian before we started recording. You know, it's so, I don't say rare, but it's just special to watch a team elevate its game, uh, rise up, you know, season on the line, at home, semifinals, and just to see, you know, 2-0 down with 15 minutes, that should, and, you know, Seattle had, I don't want to say some unlucky bounces, but, you know, There was uh, the goal that got called back because of the foul. Uh, There was a claim for a penalty that maybe could have been, but it was decided against. They hit the post once or twice. So, you know, it just kind of seemed like maybe it was, you know, we're finally going to see a changing of the guard in the West. But, you know, they've stuck to what they've done for years now, their identity, what they're known for. Uh, They came through. And so, again, just seeing a team elevate like that, I just think that, I can't can't see a team in the MLS stopping them. So I don't know about score, but I think Seattle uh, is walking away on Saturday with the crown.
3: I mean, bold, very bold. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to go much bolder. I'm going to take Seattle 3-1. I just think as, you know, bullish as we might be on the crew, there are some cracks there. I mean, New England also like had a pretty disappointing game and they still were within a last minute kick of potentially equalizing and throwing everything in the wrench. You know, I, what I like about how Seattle plays is how efficient they are, how ruthless they are. And if, if Minnesota wasn't going to knock them off with a 2-0 lead, I don't know what will. And what Seattle has in their advantage is they played in a final last year. Not only that, they have the exact same coach. They have the exact same core those guys know how to win. You look at guys on Columbus. I mean, I think uh, there's still a few holdovers from that 2015 MLS Cup finalist team. But obviously, Caleb Porter, he he did win that that MLS Cup just as a Portland Timbers coach, not as a as a Columbus coach. So I feel like playing at home, the last game of the crew, the occasion will get to them, and I just think it's Seattle's to win in that case. But not gonna lie, I, I would root for a Columbus victory at home in the last game at at that stadium, you know, especially after surviving by the the skin edge of their teeth from becoming Austin FC or whatever that was gonna happen to them had they departed. I think it would be a great story and it would be very, you know, story storyboard esque, but we have to remember it's MLS. Stories go to die in MLS and unfortunately as unpredictable as things are, something like a Seattle victory almost feels inevitable.
1: Sam, you wanna go ahead? Let's get our let's get our guests going.
0: Okay. Well I guess yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to do it. Um, I'm, I'm taking Columbus. I'm taking the crew. And, you know, obviously there's some reservations. And if any of my, uh, my friends and colleagues. But if I'm going to try to make a case, I think that one of the first things I look at is realistically who Seattle has played during these playoffs. You played an LAFC team without some of their best players and that has just been in disarray all year. You played an FC Dallas team that has some quality but wasn't necessarily in the top echelon. And then you played a Minnesota team who, to be honest, I didn't rate that highly and I'm I'm a little salty because I picked against them twice and they won two matches. But I just don't know if that's not the murderer's row of opponents. You didn't have to face Portland, not that Portland was particularly terrific, but you didn't have to face SKC, which I think would have presented a big challenge, albeit they didn't perform that well either. But it just it seemed like a kind of easy road, and as much as I think the one thing that really worries me though is the you're so comfortable at the moment. But if you remove that or if you assume that the crew can rise to the occasion, then I think there's a case for a a cagey match where Columbus finds an edge. And I I can't predict um, the crew shutting out Seattle, but I think I can predict a, you know, a two, one extra time result for Columbus. And so if I'm, if I'm making a case for Columbus, I think that's how they get it done. I think they present a much bigger challenge than any of the teams that Seattle's faced so far in the playoffs. And maybe they can catch them off guard early, grab an early goal, then defend and, and, you know, grab one again, late on it's, it's a tall task, but uh, you know someone's got to do it, and so my my hopes lie with Columbus.
1: Uh, okay, so I got I got kind of a, a little bit of a deciding pick here uh, going into Ben's prediction, but um, I don't know. It's a really tough one to call because it it really is probably one of the better MLS cups we've had in recent years, um, and I think the tactical battle is going to be so fun to watch in this game, especially. I mean, you got the 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 identity of the crew which is get it out wide to the fullbacks whip it into the box for a guy like Jesse Zardes who you can never count out in the air he's always going to at least get to that ball and put it on frame um, if not even score the goal if he can um, but uh, you also got the counterattack of the Seattle Sounders and they have guys like Jordan Morris, Raul Rodriguez, who have pacemen behind they got Soccer IQ, you got Ladero feeding them. Ladero can literally produce a moment of magic whenever he wants. Like we, there's no question about that. Uh, I, I think personally, I think he got kind of robbed this year from the MVP award. No, no offense to Pozuelo, but I think, I think Ladero kind of got robbed there. I think he's been huge for the Sounders this year. Um, and I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how the crew kind of, if the crew kind of sit back or if, uh, or if uh, just to prevent those counterattacks from Seattle. And they put less numbers forward. They kind of let Zola Ryan do his thing, um, get Pedro Santos and Luis Diaz involved. I don't think Seattle has the best defensive stability they've had in previous MLS Cups. Uh, I know Yamar has been a bit shaky, the Colombian center back they brought in. Shane O'Neal I'm not too um, high on and uh, knew who's looked susceptible at times, but he has been a really good defender. Uh, Alex Roldan playing in his first MLS Cup uh possibly so I don't know. I'm I'm a bit skeptical of that Seattle back line, but I do think Seattle's gonna come out with the win somehow. Uh, as much as I want Columbus to, you know, make make it through and you know get Seattle off their crown. Um I, I do want I, I do think uh Seattle's gonna win it. And I think this could even go to a penalty shootout. I'm gonna predict a two two. Um, and and maybe maybe Seattle clinch it on penalty kicks or something like that. I think it's a really tight game for sure.
2: Any defenders going in goal for the penalties, or just keeping it normal?
1: I mean, it'd be nice, you know, to see another defender going that. I wouldn't mind that at all. I, I loved it the first time around, so might as well see it again.
3: I want to see Jonathan Mensah in goal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd actually be sick. I think
3: he'd be a bit, he'd, he'd be a decent goalie. He, yeah. He's a bit. He isn't, I don't know. He's a, he's a bigger guy. He's a, I don't know how good his jumping would be, but I definitely just would want to see him in goal.
1: Who are you taking on the Sounders side then? You got your Columbus pick, but what about the Sounders pick? Shane O'Neill. <laughs> 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 okay, okay. <laughs>
3: without, much, without much hesitation, I'll say, but... <laughs> I just hope it's good. not a penalty. I mean... I mean, to be fair, it's good that the game's on a Saturday night. And I mean, if there's a year where it doesn't matter, it's on Saturday night, it's this year where you can't really do anything right now because of a situation we find ourselves in. But I don't know. I want to see goals. I wanna see like I I wanna see some drama in, in the in the actual time of the game. I don't want to see any nil-nil final, and then 107th yeah. minute a team wakes up. Like MLS isn't known for that. Like last year's final. To be fair, what, it, what Seattle scored pretty early and it ended up being a 3-1, which was essentially just a 3-0 with the 85th minute goal. I'm hoping for more like a, maybe a first goal and then a team replies and then we kind of see the game open up. I just want to see like drama. I want to see entertainment. And I think that would be a good way to wrap up this 2020 season because there's been a lot of drama So. I don't know if I even said my prediction, but if it, my prediction's 3-1, I think that would be a good scoreline if it was a 1-1 and it turns 3-1 when the game opens up. So fingers crossed.
2: Fingers
1: yeah, crossed. hopefully it's KG.
2: So, uh, yeah, so three of us going for Seattle. Sam, the Lone Ranger, going for the, uh, the Mighty Crew. Um, I think that's going to wrap up our sort of MLS Cup talk preview here. This is a uh, – uh, the listeners know I'm not the biggest of uh, followers of – at the MLS outside of the Whitecaps, so I did do a bit of research, and I, you know, I pushed the boat out enough for me, so I'm calling it a, a good day for me, regardless of how the rest of this recording goes. Um, sticking back to uh, the Whitecaps, obviously 90 plus, a Whitecaps focus podcast. Uh, we have been linked to a, another Colombian, uh, again, much to Seb's fancy, uh, Diabero Casado down in uh, well, Colombia um yeah uh from what the what i'm reading and what it sort of sounds like left midfielder i'm presuming it'll be one of those sort of young dp spots we keep hearing about but no one can really hit the nail on the head um but yeah it's uh it's an interesting move If obviously the nothing's been confirmed just sort of stories and stuff coming out about us being linked and everything uh All right, I'll open it up to you guys, I guess. How do you guys sort of feel, or I don't know if you've looked into this much or if you've seen much of his game tape or whatever, how do you sort of uh, feel about this whole sort of story and this uh, Caseda fella?
3: Well, definitely at some point in this week, I will elongate my thoughts more in a written form on him when I do more research. From what I see I think it's a good profile of player for the Whitecaps to target. I think the South American market It's a good market. And I think when you read reports on the player, it sounds like he's one of, you know, he's one of the more esteemed players in, in his market, which is always good because obviously another risk is that you can go, Oh, we want Colombian players. Well, you know, there's a lot of good Colombian players out there, but there's also some less, less good Colombian players that you might get sold, uh, you know, kind of get, you say taken for a fast one. Let's say, and I don't think from what I've seen so far, that's going to be the case. Obviously we have to see what happens it fits the profile they wanted. Axel Schuster says a left-footed winger. They've got this left-foot winger. I think that would make a lot of sense because I think there's a reason why David Milinkovic, his situation was so you know, final. Like the, it felt so weird for him to be already cast aside. But now if they actually do have a replacement lined up pretty, pretty much right away, I think this would add a lot of the dots together and kind of connect the whole puzzle picture together. So I think as long as there's a reasonable fee... And I, we have to figure out how the young DP sits, you know, system works. If it's going to be like the uh, the the full DPS, where it's just as long as the player's under twenty one, there's some sort of, you know, he he has a salary hit. I think this could be a good piece of business, and I think it'll be interesting to see what uh how he would fit in with uh C- Christian Dahomey and Lucas Cavallini in a front three, for example. Because from what we're seeing, from what the Whitecaps are saying, a four three three does seem to be the the likely goal even though mark de santos does not want that to admit that to me but i think uh i think it's a i think it's a good kind of profile of player and even if they don't go through i think that's the sort of caliber of young dp you want them to be linked with guys who are who are young but they have first team experience they are valuable they kind of fit that profile and i think it's it's and another equivalent is you know ranko veselinovich because technically he would have been eligible as a young dp last year had this program existed I think. I say, I see a lot of similarities in that profile of player—a player who's 20, 21, played and at a senior level, and is ready to, for for a move like that. So, from what I've seen so far, so good. Just got to see more. And to be fair, it's not the kind of signing. It's not. This isn't their big fish. This isn't their big guy. This is a complementary piece. And with that in mind, that's that's more than acceptable. It doesn't have to be a, a world breaker. This isn't the number ten where they need they need to need to hit on that piece. They cannot fail on that piece. If they mess up this signing, it won't be the end of the world, but signs that I've seen aren't pointing that way.
0: I'll add my two cents to this. Um, A little bit conflicted right off the bat, because I think the, the, not the underlying numbers, really the, the front facing numbers in terms of just goals and assists output over the last couple of seasons, not necessarily jump off the page impressive, but then you hear from a guy like Peter Galindo, who's, in the know with South American football And he rates him pretty highly It seems overall like the reputation and, and profile is a good one Especially at just 20 years of age So I think it's fine so long as You know, Whitecaps fans Treat it like As Alex said, something similar to Ranko You're bringing in a guy with First team minutes experience A good reputation, a good profile And you have to view it as You know, these aren't finished products You need to coach them up and get them prepared to produce in an MLS level. So I think as long as it's viewed in, in that sense, it's positive. It's just, it's always a question. A club like the Whitecaps, there's a big difference between spending 700K or 1.2 mil and spending 2.5 mil on a player like for other clubs, you know, TFC might just cough at that and, Oh, you want 2.5? We'll give you 2.5. But for the white caps, those dollars and cents, they make a difference. That's the reality. And so I think as long as the price is right, it's a, you know, it's a project worth taking on, but with a guy like Yannio Bacal, I mean, Alex and I talk about this a lot. We, we still don't know exactly how much the white caps paid for him. And it could have been a really, really good deal or a massive overpayment depending on the reports you hear and the reports you read. So, uh, that's something that i'll be keen on and as you guys mentioned i think they'd have to pay some kind of compensation to nashville if they wanted this player and maybe nashville rather than you know taking some money will say hey well we'll we'll offer you a single a similar deal and they were in the playoffs they have some top players i would think that at least on a surface level unless you really want to live in canada and in vancouver that nashville overall would be more attractive right now but that's just me. I, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see if anything more comes of this. There's also lots of reports that come out of, you know, South America or Africa, various places of guys link with clubs. So I don't want to put too much stock in this, but are the white caps looking at this profile in South America? Absolutely. So it, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, well, I'm hyped. Honestly, another Colombian guy on the White Caps Love to see it. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, I do think there are better options right now in the Colombian market, uh, just from what I've seen. But what I do like about this deal is the fact that it's a long-term project, and it's the young DP that Axel Schuster talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it's a good place, you know, to get that young DP spot filled up uh, out on the wing. Um, and from, from what it sounds like, this guy really has potential. Um, and I, I, I may have uh, been on FIFA, starting up a Whitecaps career mode the day prior to the, these reports coming out, and I was looking at a, a, a certain David Caicedo to bring into the Whitecaps. So to see that little, uh, little rumor, I guess, come out the day after was kind of, was kind of funny. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely a good move for the Whitecaps. Um, hopefully, they can, you know, get them up and running. And I think it's a project that they're definitely worth taking the risk on if this guy doesn't work out he probably will go for a hefty fee as well um, and uh, as long as he's you know coached well he adapts fairly quickly um, I think that's also a big important part bringing this guy in early which is something we haven't seen uh, in Whitecaps off seasons prior we have we've maybe seen like maybe a trade or, or a Lucas Cavallini come in before training camp that's all but I think the fact that the Whitecaps are getting their business done now is good because you can get this guy straight into preseason training camp, whenever that is. If preseason does happen, we don't know yet. Um, but if you get this guy going in, uh, into preseason and trying to settle in quick, that'll be good. Um, and, yeah, I- I'm excited for this. Hopefully it doesn't cost too much because you obviously have to look at Nashville and the discovery rights they have. But uh, from what I've seen so far, I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, hopefully more to come.
2: Uh, I like the the point that Alex made you know that he isn't you know the guy for the white caps this isn't you know go big or go home this isn't you know if this was their dp obviously I you know we'd rather this maybe I'd prefer him not to be like their last senior dp spot um but yeah no like Alex said you know it's if they do mess this up or it doesn't quite work out in the white caps way it's not the end of the world we've seen you know countless of these types of, you know, of South American uh, wingers and you know, supposed playmakers come into the Whitecaps, and you know they struggle to uh, get their feet, they struggle to gain minutes, and then you know a year later you forget you know they ever existed and they're gone off the face of the Whitecaps planet. Um, and again, I'm not saying this is going to be the case with Cazorla. I, I don't know. I've, I like to be optimistic. Um, but at the same time, you know, like Alex said, it's, it's, it's not do or die. It's, you know, a play that they can bring in. And if he helps out the team, if he becomes a starter, if he develops well and he becomes a long-term project, that's great. The scouting department, it's, they did it, their job. Uh, you know, kudos to them. But if not, then you know what? It's a kid that we tried out. We got his feet wet, didn't quite work out. Maybe can move on, develop his career somewhere else, and he can be on to bigger and better things. And that opens up another spot for the Whitecaps as well so i think uh yeah no i i think it's uh it's a good looking sign and again if this uh does come around in the next day or two or a couple of days and we can uh get those discovery rights from nashville i think he it, it could be a real nice addition to the uh the squad here
3: scouting department is very interesting because this is really like as we mentioned countless times this is axel schuster's first full off season last off season you know he gets hired in mid-november you kind of hit the ground running. The Whitecaps physically had to bring in guys just to fill warm bodies, in a sense. And while most of their signings that Axel Schuster ended up making, you know, most of them are going to stick around. Most of them, you look at them like guys like Bakel, Owusu, Veselinovide, Those are, you know, those are core pieces that are going to stick around for a while. But now this is the first offseason where they've had supposed scouting infrastructure. You know, they've got the four cornerstones. They've been working on it for over a year. I'm very curious to see how this, this, signing pans out to see okay is this going to be proof that the whitecaps are starting to build up a cohesive process like sam mentioned earlier that idea of building a, a front down cohesive process or this is this just another agent signing? is this a kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and I, that for me that's the biggest thing i want to watch is you know is this going to be an example of them taking a step forward or is it this just going to be kind of a shot in the dark
0: yeah, so I think we're all, we're all relatively on the same page about, about this prospect, but I, I think something that has been rattling around in my head at least is it, when you look at young internationals that the Whitecaps have brought in during this regime, in air quotes, so over the last two seasons, you've got Inbaum, you have Ranko Vassilnovich, and you have Joaquin Arda used for lack of anyone else. And so I think as much as it's great to talk about players with potential, with the profile... The question has to be at the same time, you know, are you set up to get the most out of these players and to help them achieve their potential? And that's not saying that the Whitecaps aren't capable of doing so, but with the amount of kind of dysfunction and chaos over the last two years, they haven't been able to do that. So my concern with guys of this profile, not necessarily that the Whitecaps can't get the most out of a player like this, but they've yet to demonstrate that ability and so that's just always a caveat it's like yeah great he has potential but someone's got to help him realize that it doesn't just happen
2: by itself um we can kind of I don't know, i've got a segue here that can kind of work one white cap a little while ago some of you may uh, remember him Alfonso davies uh he was uh, just a young kid with a bit of potential uh big news coming out today he is uh he tied for the loo marsh award uh, we said it earlier in the show with a uh, Kansas City Chiefs guard Lauren uh, DeVernay-Tardif um, I, th- I think we all wanted to see him win outright uh, and I know there's a sort of discussion of uh, if not now then when You know, the season that he had uh you know how much more does he have to do to win this award and i know obviously he's young and he's got a long you know glorified career career ahead of him and uh i'm sure there's gonna be an opportunity in the near future where he is able to claim this prize but i think we all would have uh liked to see 2020 cap off in a in a davies victory with the lumash and again you know he tied he's still you know it's not like he lost it or anything he's still you know his name will be uh shared up there but i think it just kind of takes away some of the uh the lore i think that some of us were hoping for from uh the announcement today
1: well i mean Tom, he's won three trophies as a 19 year old um now a 20 where he's now 20 but like as a 19 year old champions league bundesliga dfb pokal what else do you want like <laughs> do you want him to win the world cup at this rate like <laughs> Um, but no, I think, I think it's good that they at least like kind of shared the award in a way. I mean, um, I don't know much about, uh, the chiefs guy, but I do know he did some, he did some stuff in the background, helping out in hospitals and stuff like that. So that's always good. But, um, it, athletic ability and like athletic achievement. So if, if it's, if it's for that, then I think Davies has to like outright win it by himself. Right. So. That's, that's just my thoughts on it.
3: <laughs> it's tough. Uh, it, it, I feel like such a jerk, like, arguing yeah. this on <laughs> It's like, yeah, you know, this guy, he, he he won the Super Bowl. He quit his profession for a year, like, took a break to go, like, dump, uh, dive in, because he's a doctor. I mean, is he, he's yeah. officially, he is a doctor. You know, he's Dr. LDT. He took the risk of, okay, I'm not going to play football. I'm not going to get the, you know, get the money that coming with that provides, especially as like coming off a Super Bowl when I'm instead gonna go help out in the hospitals in my home province of Quebec. That's massive. You can't, you know, you can only respect the guy for doing that. That is a pretty impressive year. But unfortunately the the, the Lou Marsh Award isn't a humanitarian award. It isn't an award of, you know, it isn't an award of that sort of skill. it, it the definition of the award is based on athletic achievement. And there are just looking back, there is no precedent for for Someone like LDT winning the award. I mean, some people have pointed out Terry Fox as a, a comparable. For me, that isn't. He literally ran a marathon every day for a year. That's pretty. You know, if we want to talk about athletic achievement, that's absolutely mind-boggling. But you know, Alfonso Davies, in terms of what happened on the on the the actual you know field of play, it just it, it, no one was close. I mean, from a pure uh, athletic standpoint, LDT had he played three games in 2020. All three in the playoffs. One was a Super Bowl, obviously, and then he hasn't played since. Alfonso Davies has played nearly 30 games. He won all these trophies. Heck, even if you look around, other guys like Jamal Murray, he had obviously his outstanding NBA season and playoffs. I could see consideration for that, and, and elsewhere. It's just as long as the Lou Marsh is an, is an, a trophy for athletes I did, or, or athletic performance. I think it unfortunately must go for. Someone like you know Alfonso David. I see Sam shaking his head. I'm interested in what he what he has to say on the matter. But I think LDT should be recognized for what he did. Just maybe in another way, other than the the Lou Marsh. But you know what? I think this maybe this was the fair way to to award it. Because either way, you would have had people on the either side of the pendulum. Okay, Alfonso should have won it, or LDT should have won it. Maybe this was the fair way to go. But if anything, I think there's, there's flaws in the voting process that need to be exposed. I mean, I don't think anyone knows even how the voting process works. And apparently there's a lack of West Coast representation on the panel, for example, and all of that needs to be worked out. But that's just kind of how I feel on the the whole award thing. I just think based on the way it's defined Alfonso Davies for me.
1: Classic PR move. Yeah, so
0: I have have one question before I get into this. Uh, Is it like would Duvernay Tardif's uh, regular season in 2019 play in it all? Or is it supposed to be no. strictly Calend- a, it's
2: calendar year. achievement? It's during every 2020?
3: year. It's in December. It vote, every year, December, the voting okay. so it doesn't change.
0: Well, so then I'd make my, I don't know who won it last year, but I'd make my ar- argument that uh, Duvernay Tardif maybe should have won it in 2019 because I mean, I guess you guys, you guys maybe aren't, you know, the biggest football fans, but I mean, not You take away all the humanitarian stuff, the fact that, you know, you returned to Canada to be a doctor during COVID. This guy was, I mean, you know, O-linemen don't get a lot of credit for being as athletic as they are for, you know, the, the achievement that they have. It's not, it's a thankless position. You're not, you know, on the highlight reel, but there's certainly a, an element to it that I think is massively underappreciated. I guess I kind of have to agree with you guys in the sense that, you know, if it's only based on 2020, although he did win the Super Bowl and played terrifically in the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that's probably at his position at guard one of the top 5 guards in the NFL and it's also a guy who went to I think it's, this is really significant. He went to university in Canada. Like he played Canadian college football at McGill. Not a lot of guys play canadian college football and then go perform at an all pro level in the nfl let alone win a super bowl let alone do it on what very well could be a team in the midst of a dynasty i mean if he was on the chiefs this year they're you know tied for the best record in the nfl they could very well be on the road to winning a second consecutive super bowl so i think certainly and the point about east media is really good i mean NFL carries a lot more weight, especially on the East coast. And, you know, depending on who's voting for this thing, the, the respect level for people would say, like, I'm sure there's some media personnel that would go, Oh, well, like winning the Bundesliga doesn't matter. They would only think that the champions league is important. Now that's not an opinion we hold, but that's certainly an opinion that some of the people vote. I hold and they, I think I'm in a relatively good position to kind of comment on both sides as a big fan and follower of, of sports.
1: Cut out again. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna take over. I'm
2: gonna take over here. I'm gonna take over. Um. So it was Bianca and who won it in 2019. Obviously, a uh, oh, that's female fair. tennis player. Because that was the year she uh, was it. The U.S. Open.
3: Yeah, she yeah. won the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. Like so, a Canadian uh, yeah. winning that award is pretty unprecedented. I think hers yeah. was pretty a lot more straightforward than.
2: Yeah. And, this year and I, I I like the point that uh Sam made I would honestly love to turn this into an NFL podcast but uh, <laughs> um yeah no offensive linemen you know they don't get a lot of credit a lot of thanks it's not a very you know uh favored upon position you know no kid when he grows up he, everyone wants to be a quarterback or you know wide receive whatever no one wants to be you know a left tackle for Cleveland you know it's just like the way it goes so it's uh it, it is a it is you know guard the entire offensive line it's it's hard to kind of stand out and be you know a good athlete uh well obviously no it's not hard to stand out um I'm kind of spiraling here um I feel like you know I'm trying to it's hard to like stand out and be like the number one athlete in a country uh in a position such as that you know uh, whereas Alfonso Davies, uh, and again, left back, again, it's not the most glorified position. It's not the striker or the, you know, the center midfielder. It's on the side doing his sort of thing. Uh, you know, both obviously Davies won the Champions League. Uh, LDT won the Super Bowl. You know, they both have, you know, big accolades to their names. And I, yeah, I, I could, I, I'll piggyback on what Alex said. I feel like kind of a jerk saying, you know, that this guy who, you know, set aside millions of dollars to like, help save lives in his hometown I don't want to be like that guy doesn't deserve recognition and you know these accolades and stuff but yeah it's 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 touchy and uh yeah I I do still think that outright it should have been Davies but I'm I'm not upset that uh LDT got this recognition
1: I think we can kind of come to the conclusion it was kind of a good way to give the award like they kind of co- shared the award I think I think it's I think it's a good conclusion
3: I I agree with that if anything what I've learned from this is that a Canadians care a lot about the Lou Marsh like oh my god good like (laughs) watching reading my Twitter timeline the last three days has just been a bloodbath of people like beating each other over the head with baseball bats about this and that I didn't know Lou Marsh was such a patriotic award like a kind of of sorts but also like we also kind of need to find a way to maybe redefine how we, we look at these sorts of awards because if you think about it, it's just so hard to compare. How do you compare, say, an, an amazing Alpine skier to someone who's a top NFL, you know, corner? Like, it's just such a weird award to compare. And it, it's definitely a narrative-based award. And I think we've seen that recently. I mean, Bianca Andrescu winning deservedly the U.S. Open and the Marsh. There was the narrative behind how impressive her season was last year. Also, she went to the Rogers Cup final in Canada, And then this year, obviously, the narrative behind Alphonso Davies going and starting a Champions League and and winning and contributing to that team, that team that won five trophies. And then, you know, obviously, LDT with what he did, the narrative of winning the trophy, uh, winning the Super Bowl as a doctor, leaving, you know, leaving the sport. It's just, it's a narrative-driven trophy, as most are. I think maybe there needs to be discussions about what the trophy actually is, maybe finding a new way to categorize. Maybe there's some sort of you know, maybe you give out a handful of awards, maybe you start giving out a male and female athlete, there's so many considerations they could do. But as, as it currently stands, there's a lot of confusion around the Lou Marsh. And I think it's going to be fun each year when, you know, some hockey player inevitably scores 120 points like Connor McDavid, and then Alfonso Davies does something. And then Christine Sinclair or, you know, or Jordan Hoydma does something on the women's soccer side, and then an alpine skier wins like four World Cup gold medals in Olympic. Like it's just gonna be a bloodbath. And now seeing the bloodbath that it was this year, I'm excited to see the debate at least. I thought that was the most entertaining part.
2: Fair enough. Um I think we are sort of a little bit pushed for time here. So it was uh, screwed along. So I think we can conclude we're all happy that, you know, it was a tie and we're okay with that. You know, the first Whitecaps-ish tie of 2020. You know, we'll uh, take that on our chin and move on um, to our one good, one bad segment. Obviously, we usually do this after uh, white Whitecaps win or draw, so just wins. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, so we're going to go around. Uh, we'll, we'll each give our one good and one bad before moving on and give a, a grade for the season. So um, if anyone uh, – does anyone want to start, or should I uh, take the reins here, or anyone – Jumping out of I of you take the reins as the host. We'll Sounds. let you start. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so yeah, so the uh, one good, um, we'll start off with, uh, in years past, especially with Robbo uh, in charge, a lot of fans were sort of upset and angry at the fact that not a lot of young players were getting opportunities, specifically Canadians, you know, there's only three MLS teams in canada uh, and you know the white caps weren't developing and uh contributing all that much to the national team and i think uh especially this year i think that narrative's kind of being put aside i mean thomas asall stepping up theo bear michael baldissimo uh you know i can go on and on uh i do think that the way that some of these young canadians stepped into this roster and contributed to the team and you know hopefully it's going to lead to some um uh, appearance and caps on the national team. I'd love to see that. But I think that was a, a big positive for the white caps this year, definitely developing the uh, uh, the young Canadians. Uh, and then the bads. Um, I said this in, I think it was like episode number two or three of the 90 plus podcast, way back at the start of the season. Um, I said that it would be a successful year if the Whitecaps were able to find their identity, and I have milked this goat until there is nothing left this year, and I'm going to beat it one more time with a bat. It seems like, you know, it's uh, Axel Schuster in the uh, year in a press conference. He says he wants the club to he wants the club to be a team that gives youngsters chance. Uh, MDS uh, he kind of struggled for most of the year to find a formation and a style of play and. Again, it seems like a 4-3-3, which is something we've hardly played at all this year. It seems like that's going to be the move maybe for 2021. It's difficult, and obviously, you know, the pandemic didn't help, and, you know, it's, it was a bit difficult bringing in players and being down in Portland, but – the identity crisis, it does continue. And I did say that was going to be like the one detoning factor for me, you know, regardless of what happened on the field, I'd be happy if they could come away from the season with that. And they, uh, they failed too. So from that, I'm giving them a, a C plus. They improved from last year for sure, but there's still a, a lot of work to do. And I think they're able to do it, but it's, you know, they've got to go out there and do it. So, yeah, those are my, uh, my three. <laughs>
3: anyway, oh, yeah. Putting a lot of yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of our points are going to be rather similar, I feel like, yeah. across the board. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at goods as a whole over the whole course of the season, I mean, I guess it was good that they ended up winning more games this year than last year. That's always good. You can't complain, obviously, about that. But I tend to agree on the fact that they've built, they started to build a core. So i kind of to pivot off what you said with the young guys. I think it's good that you're heading into this offseason and you know most of these young guys and core players are going to stick around. You look at guys like Daniel Bikel, Leonard Owusu, you know, Eric Godoy, Maxime Crepeau, Jake Norwinsky, Lucas Cavallini, Christian Dahomey. There's a spine there. And it's you know it's been obviously since Mark DeSantos in, it's been a giant reshuffling of the deck in terms of players and all that. And it's just nice to have an identity on the field because as we've seen – you meant or not identity because I wouldn't call it an identity yet but it's nice to have a spine sorry because you know there there still needs the muscle they need the organs they need the the skin over top of this body but first you need the skeleton for for the body to 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 walk and it's just good to see them finally put some of those pieces in place and keep them around it you look at the roster they're only going to have to make a few changes this offseason and that's good thing because when you have to make so many changes, your life gets so much harder when you have to, okay, I have to hit on eight or nine signings. Well, this offseason, they realistically need to hit on one signing and bat above 500 or four or five. That's progress. On the negative side, though, to kind of also pivot off what you said, Ben, identity, obviously a big concern. I mean, the lack of cohesiveness in formations, the, you know, a favorite of Sam and I, just the the lack of consistency with the subs plan from game to game, that sort of stuff certainly it hurts and it was negative to see. Obviously, with the young guys, too. One day it would seem like the young guys are in favor, in the next game they just he wouldn't. He would refuse to. Mark decided to refuse to to put them in. So for me, I think it's good what he's done with the younger pieces with their core, but on the other hand, I feel like there's still a lot of growth to be done and. Considering that the Whitecaps only technically are a signing or two away from really, for the most part, finalizing their roster, a lot of onus is going to be on Mark DeSantos next year, what he does with the roster. Because if, if he doesn't, it is, his job's going to be all of a sudden be in peril. So for me, that'll be a negative that I want to see, see how it fares next year. How can he handle, especially a full roster, a full preseason with most of his roster? How does he handle, handle those things?
2: And uh great if you could give me a give me a letter grade or an out of ten some sort of way to rank the whole year.
3: Oh okay well, that, that's easy. I, so far my my season and review pieces that I've done on, on between the sticks the the number I've come up with is six out of ten, which might seem a bit generous, might seem a little less than generous. You know it's a sixty percent in school. it's a c plus I think around where, where about C or C or c plus and I think that's about fair. They definitely more, they passed. If anything, they improved off of last year, so that's a, a progress. But they're they're not they're not quite at the the straight A's or the, the nines out of tens, the tens out of tens. There's still work to be done. So I'll will give a six because we also have to consider it was a tough year, etc. etc. You know, as much as you don't want to play the excuse card on the, but on the other hand, you have to be realistic with your assessment. So I'd say a six out of ten, but I could entertain an argument on a say a seven, but that does start to feel like I'm trending a bit high on that.
0: Okay, well, I guess I'll, I'm basically going to riff off of what you guys have talked about and with, you know, slight variations of of similar ideas, I guess. And so for the backhanded compliment, but I think it's a point worth making. The good news is that the Whitecaps were without two of their players for a decent portion of the year. Max Carpeau only made four appearances. Eric Godoy only made 12 appearances, only 10 of those at center back. So I think there's a case to be made there that if you looked back at the start of 2020, those are two of your most important players. You were missing them for a decent chunk of the year. So when you look at the standings, you look at where you finished, and then you look at that, you kind of go, okay, well, that makes sense. If we'd been missing those two guys, we can we can understand why our chances would have been less to be a a competitive playoff team. So I think that's positive if you're if you're trying to put the the optimist union spin on it. On the bad side, rather than just kind of talking generally, I think it's it's one player in specific that I found the way he was dealt with really disappointing, and that's Theo Bear. I'm concerned that you know, especially if if Freddie for some reason is to come back next year. If to St. Ricketts is sticking around, if the white caps add, you know, some one players, Mark likes to add those kind of inverted wingers that serve as a second striker. Where is the room for Theo bear to get minutes next year? I just don't see a path for him to get the kind of minutes he needs to grow. And so we've been putting out uh, articles on a six forever talking about who we think should stay and go, or, or head out on loan in 2021. And I made the case that I think Theo should go out on loan or Theo should explore his other options because I'm just not sure he's going to get the minutes in Vancouver. And that's concerning because this is a prospect, much like we talked about the transfer targets. These are guys you want to, they have potential, but you want to help them reach it. And I'm just concerned that the pathway is becoming less and less clear for a guy like Theo. So that would be bad in terms of grades. Um it's yeah it's it's such a mixed bag right I think I have to go with a with a very general C because I like to give them a C minus but I think based on everything that's gone on in 2020 like fair enough it w- it was a messed up year for everyone so I think you you get the little boost in grade based on based on that but I think that you know you can you can look at the standings you can paint a positive picture that they weren't that far away but when you look at you know expected goals against, when you look at possession numbers, some of those other numbers, it's like, whoa, you know, maybe the record was a bit flattering. And so I think that's what drops me from a 7 out of 10 or a 6 to that C grade, just based on some of the underlying numbers that I think made the, the overall season even a little bit flattering in comparison to what it was.
1: Uh, for me, it, w- it was pretty tough for me, honestly, to find a positive this season. Um, and I think for me, straight off the bat, uh, I'm going to pull the generous card and go. The fact that this Whitecaps team was able to cope with such adversity this year was really good to see. I mean, Sam talked about it, having Max Kripo and Eric Godoy out for large stretches of the season. If, if Godoy is fit for the entire season, you know, he's probably considered one of the top defenders in MLS. Um, or something like that Um, but I mean you look at the whole season as a whole and you don't go to MLS's back with your full roster without Cavallini without Montero Um, and and then you you finally get all those pieces together towards the back end of the season and and towards the back end of the season was the part where we really did see this Whitecaps team grow a bit and you know show a little bit more of what um, they want to build off and maybe go into next year um, so I think for me the positive was just trying to cope with all the adversity, and they did end up doing a lot better than they did last year. So uh, props to them for that and coping with the adversity. Um, as for the negatives, I think it was a little easier to find stuff to talk about there. Um, as you guys have said, uh, the identity issue is a big problem. Um, I think it's it's been almost two years um, to when uh, Mark DeSantos was given the contract to be a Cap's head coach, and uh, I remember a video that came up from the Wake and it was um, Jeff Mallet talking about the fact that they have this three-year plan, you know, to uh, incorporate all these transfer windows to, to March fulfillment and stuff like that and how they want to, you know, build that progression to be a playoff level team. And truth be told, we haven't been anywhere close to that. Uh, and that's because mainly this team hasn't built an identity this year. There was no identity again. Uh, mo- most in part because of the pandemic was a bit, big factor, but also because Mark Desantis didn't have his his key players and he didn't have the team that he really wanted to to fill his formation. We found out towards the end of the season that he was kind of in a way forced to play the four four two because of the personnel he had. So I think it, it, we still haven't seen that identity factor, um, and I think it's going to be important for the Whitecaps to you know go out and get that number ten. I think had the Whitecaps brought in a number 10 this season, I think we'd have, we'd be having a totally different conversation. I think it was evident since 2019, this Whitecaps team needed a number 10. So I think if they would have gone out uh, towards the back end of the 2019 season and maybe gotten a number 10 before then, then I think we would have been, we would be having a completely different conversation. You know what I mean? So um, I think for me, the big, the big negative was for sure, the identity factor, but um, I think, to add on, I think it's good that they kept that spine that Alex talked about. You know, usually we're used to seeing this caps team decline options, decline options like year in year out. So I think it was a good sign to you know see that they have that that kind of core they want. Um, so that was nice to see. I think I'm gonna give the season as a whole. Uh, I think I think I'm gonna go for a C minus because I just think it's I just think it's kind of ridiculous in a way. Like you, you you have this three-year plan that you want to build off and you 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 just don't get anywhere close to that. I mean, the ownership group uh, just hasn't, for me, it, I, I don't see the intent from the ownership group so far. So I think for me, the big storyline heading into the off season is watching how this ownership group wants to really dedicate themselves and push forward towards building a winning mentality in this team. And, you know, Mark DeSantos said it himself, I want to win more than this ownership group wants to. So, I mean, it, it's, I want to see something change around here and I, I, I do commend the Whitecaps for the the, the the play that they were able to come up with during the season. I think they were a fun team to watch this year at times um, but at times not so much fun because they did have those uh, wretched numbers in possession and shots on target expected goals. So yeah again another huge offseason for this Whitecaps team coming up. Well quickly
3: to jump in not to cut you off Ben but just to kind of finish off with what Sebastian said I think that number 10 is again like I may have mentioned earlier it's going to be indicative of how the the Whitecaps fortunes are next year because you hate to be that guy saying oh but they, they have to spend the money I, and people have been saying that since 2010 but you know now they've they've finally we've had it in writing from an you know a Whitecaps person working on the Whitecaps front office Axel Schuster he said it we are getting a DP number 10 so first of all, there's the pressure, and if they get that that DP number ten, and let's just assume whatever they paid for Cavallini, that's the bare minimum that they'll go after. That that has to be. They can't be. You, you can't go cheap on this. They get that guy, things can change so much, and that's what's scary. Because if they get that guy, you look at Minnesota with, the, for example, with Reynoso. Those guys, they change teams. They make teams look from from awful to to good. Look at Hany Mukhtar on on Nashville. We've talked about him. Nashville. All of a sudden with him in the lineup goes from this, you know, USL level looking team to a team that can be among the top half in MLS. And that's just one player. And for me, that that signing is gonna really dictate how I feel about that next season. I think you look at the base of this White Caps roster, I see a middling MLS roster. I can see a team that maybe isn't among the worst, but definitely isn't among the best. But that number ten will be the difference between okay, them being, you know, a middling to bad team or a team that can be in the top half of MLS. And I think this is where we're going to see, like Sebastian said, the sign of the ownership. Are they willing to shell out the money for a player? Heck, if it's a $10 million player and they have to fight tooth and nail to get the player like Minnesota did for Reynoso, are they going to do it or are they going to kind of go for a, a, a an easier option? And for me, that's going to dictate the offseason because as much as you hate to say, oh, they just need that one player because everyone's been saying it for years. I think it's no more true than it is now because they have the core. I mentioned that they they have finally got the core. They just need the final piece. Like they, that's genuinely it. And the number 10 could really change their fortune. So, so that's the one I'm really very, very curious to follow because it could really make or break not only their season, but Mark DeSantis, job, you know, what people believe of the ownership that could be the last if They failed to do this. I think many people who are already gone won't come back and, Axel Schuster, his you know his job could already be in question. So it's it's a massive, it's a very massive question. What that they need to answer well, and they need to answer pretty quickly here.
1: And I, think, yeah. I think just cutting you off there, no, no, go. go. They have to get this guy who's proven in his position. They can't go for a young guy. They have to go with a senior guy, probably around the age range of like 24, 27 ish, uh, I'd say, because he's so you he still have those little bit of prime years left with him here at the Whitecaps. Um, I think you have to get a guy that's proven in his position, has the numbers to back it up, you know, has the the creative sense, the flair, you know, it's it's such a big signing and Alex said it. I mean, you hate to just pinpoint like a team's direction on one player, but that's how essential this guy is to this Whitecaps team right now. If they can get this number 10, get the right guy in to fit the playing style, fit the league play as well, you get a guy kind of like a Rhinoso, a Ladero, a Mukhtar, uh an years past Namiron, of Valeri, you know, all those guys. There's so many guys, and it's been going on for so long. Where the where the MLS 3.0, 2.0 rule is like, get that number 10 and get the speedy wingers and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm I'm honestly shocked that the Cat's have waited this long for to get this number 10, but thankfully it's coming soon so (laughs) that's a positive
2: (laughs) yeah I think I said this when uh, the Whitecaps were playing that just awful stretch of Canadian games out on the east coast and I think me and Seb had this discussion uh, and we said that you know obviously I think the Whitecaps have improved from those three games that we saw out there but we said that this number 10 that comes in he is gonna need to be Damn good to elevate this team. You know, you know, good players come in and play well. Great players come in and they elevate the team around them. And you know, that Whitecaps team we saw on the East Coast at that time, there was I I would struggle to you know pinpoint one good thing about any of those performances. And you know, bringing in this number ten being able to have someone to lift that entire team up and again i know the whitecaps are in a different space right now than they were back then uh to think they're more so sort of developed they've kind of a bit more themselves but at the same time you know that number 10 would have to come in and have a really tough job If the, the easier the whitecaps can make it for him to come in play his game uh, and you know leave the you know if he doesn't have to elevate his team whatever that just makes his life a whole lot easier whoever you know this mysterious number 10 out there is. So I do think that, and I, I like the point point said that, you know, and Alex touched as well, that, you know, the front office, you know, a lot of it is going to look on this number 10, uh, you know, MDS is, uh, you know, future of the team, even possibly Schuster's, the way this team is run and owned. You know, I, I really like those points that you guys uh, uh, brought up there with the uh, bringing in the front office. Uh, a little front office news as we do wrap up this uh, episode 33 of the nine plus podcast we just confirmed uh, just recently that uh, in a couple of days times we will have Axel schuster on the podcast that will be coming out Ooh. on february on uh, february good lord friday i'm already thinking ahead to next year good gosh we better um, have
1: the dp by then
2: yeah God.
3: Yeah, ask I him don't. the tough questions guys make sure to ask him the tough questions
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, uh, we're accepting all you know any questions you know our listeners or you know alex or sam you want to ask uh you know we're accepting dms we're uh, definitely we've got some things you want to pick a uh, shoe brain at so that episode's coming out friday so get some uh you know any questions anything you want to know in by then um Alex, Sam, we'll give you a couple of minutes here as we wrap up to kind of promote yourselves, you know, plug your socials or whatever before we uh, wrap this one up.
0: Yeah, well, I'll just add in as I kind of, you know, show myself out one final thing on the the number 10 discussion, something that, I don't know, maybe in a subtle way without ask, asking Axel straight up, you can get into on that upcoming show. But with such a key player, it's going to be such a, a delicate game of okay, you can go up and spend ten million, and you're probably going to get a player that's pretty easy to project. Or you can go for the Mukhtar approach and spend three and a half, four million dollars, and there's a good chance you know he could turn out like he has for for Nashville and really translate. But when you're spending in that range, you also could get someone a little more on the unproven side who could come in and, and flop. So if I'm Axel Schuster, I'm having these meetings with ownership, which I'm sure is something that's going on during this off season. How much are they weighing the pros and cons of man? If we spend in this range, this is what could happen. If we spend in this range, this is what could happen. I'm so curious because as all three of you said, it's, you know, a lot of the reputation of this club, the reputation of the people within it is going to turn on whether or not that number 10 pans out. And so, the kind of game of cat and mouse within that you know how much can we spend how much can we get away with and still get the player we're looking for i'm fascinated to see how it pans out but yeah for me you can find me at samuel underscore rowboat on twitter you can also find our podcast at third sub pod and uh you can just also google the third sub podcast it's available pretty much anywhere podcasts are available spotify itunes all that good stuff so thanks guys for having us on. Um, yeah, you can check out my written work at a six forever.com too, if that's something you're curious in, but, uh, but yeah, Alex over to you. And then, uh, yeah, thanks guys. Once again.
3: Yeah. Twitter. I mean, Sam covered the third sub podcast. I have, for, I keep forgetting to shout that one out. So thanks for doing that. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at Alex and, uh, BTS fan city. Not much to say. Appreciate the, appreciate you guys hopping on as always. Uh, you know, invite, we'll we'll have you on in and in definitely before the season starts because these round tables are always a blast and uh, we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about on the third sub, but appreciate you guys hosting us on your platform and uh, good luck with the Schuster interview. That's a big one. I think that should be a good conversation with him.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. We're, uh, we're excited. Uh, Sebastian, any kind of closing words here before we wrap this one up?
1: Yeah, no, thanks guys again, once again, for uh, coming on. 90 plus uh we'll have to do it again sometime soon whether it be on on uh the third sub or over here on 90 plus it's always great having these round tables so uh so yeah we're hopefully uh you guys have uh a safe christmas uh safe yeah. new year um and, and yeah to our listeners thanks for listening uh it's great to be back getting into the full of things and hopefully um the off season starts picking up a little bit here we can we can see a bunch more signings come in and there's also uh, an expansion draft coming soon, Uh, Mm which we're on that, but um, it's, uh, it's also an important date uh, that I kind of just remembered off the top of my head. So yeah, it's starting to pick off this off season and yeah, we got a, we got an exciting MLS cup coming up as well. So uh, full throttle on the off season, which is great to hear. So yeah, guys, thanks for, thanks for tuning in and uh, Mm -hmm. thanks to our guests for uh, coming on as well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys. We'll uh, we'll join you guys on the third sub soon. But for now, this has been 90 plus podcast episode 33. Hope you guys have enjoyed and definitely go check out Alex and Sam and all of their work. Talk to you guys soon.